All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. This week, we're in a brand new part of our Matthew Sermon Series. This is Season 3, where we're going to be dealing exclusively with the topic of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to take four weeks and just go through that famous prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And for centuries, Christians have been using it not just as a model, but also as theological instruction about who God actually is. And this week, we're going to be looking at the first phrase in that famous prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're going to talk about how Jesus redefines the idea of God as Father, and not just as Father, but what type of Father. Our guests this week are Jay Kim and Karina Gerard, and their stories involve fathers who were absentee. And so this idea of fathers for both of them and their stories is deeply personal and deeply wounding because their own fathers abandoned them and their families. And so what do you do with that? How do you make sense of that? And we are going to talk about how Jesus is inviting us to be healed by the idea of God as a father, not just as a father, but what type of father he is. And so it gets really personal. It's a longer episode because we delve really into deep matters of the heart. We hope it will be helpful and hopeful for you as you kind of consider these truths that Jesus teaches in the Lord's Prayer. And with that, let's dive right in. Okay, um, just side question, just to warm you guys up before we get into this. Um, my my son and I um, have been obsessing quite a bit, and I know that you have seen this. Uh, Jay, I don't know if you have. Uh, the latest season of Stranger Things. Yes. Jay, have you have you partaked? Partooken? Partaken? Uh, Jenny and I were like hardcore addicted to Stranger Things season one. Yes. And then... It's not like we didn't like it. We loved the show. And for some reason, we just stopped. And now it's one of those situations where I'm four seasons behind. So yeah, you it's are. just too, too much work to catch up. Well, know? it's not true. Anyway, well, there's a plot point. I'm not giving anything away in which one of the characters is kind of being held captive, Maxine, Max. Yeah. And uh, to get her back, her friends play uh, her favorite song. as Which a way- now is her least favorite song because now <laughs> she's heard it a hundred million times. So the whole idea of a favorite song, a song that can pull you back mm. from the hold of Vecna, right? Uh, what would that song be for you? What's a song that you is not just one of your favorites, but a song you could listen to again and again. It, it, it's a song that's deeply wired into your, your subconscious that would remind you of happy times or just good times or good life. Um that's what? so funny. I'm a four, so you have to say something obscure. It, well, no, I like. I don't think I like have a happy time song, but I have a song that legit makes me cry every single okay. time I hear it. What's that? And it's like it is my favorite song. Okay, what is it? It's called Vincent, and it's by Don McLean, oh, the yeah. guy who wrote American Pie. Yeah, Starry Starry Night. Exactly. Yeah. Starry Starry Night. Paint your palette blue and gray Look out on a summer's day With eyes that know the darkness in my soul That's and, a beautiful song. Um, th- like, I'm not like a Don McLean fan. He's like way before my time. But every time I hear that song, there's something about it that just mm. like touches my like inner soul and like hands down cry every time now here's the kicker my 16 year old son he's a musician started on piano moved to bass and now he's playing electric and acoustic guitar and i hear him about a week ago and i'm like oh my gosh was he he, practicing that song he is learning that song oh that's so cool but like like amazing like finger picking playing the melody like he's He's a true musician. I fake it. He's real. Oh wow! He's amazing. Um, every time I hear him, I'm like, I just, I just want you to know, like, you have already surpassed me, like, in every way. Raphael. He's yeah. Wow. Ah. Raphael. He's amazing. Um, and that he chose that song because he's like into. He's an Enneagram four slash five, um, and he's into like underground either like synth wave vapor wave or he's into like like <laughs> really obscure weird yeah. punk stuff underground so for oakland him, hip-hop from clowns <laughs> def- no he's not hip-hop guy he's a rock guy but um 
for him to like choose this like old school Don McLean song, hmm, like that's cool. He loves me. <laughs> you have two Enneagram fours and living in your home. In Good my luck. home. Good I luck. know. I know. Jay, what about you? What's a song that could bring you back if you're start floating in the air? under the hold of a, an evil presence, and we have to bring you back by playing your favorite song, uh, what what would that be? Do you have one? Probably Ice Cube's It Was a Good Day. Oh! Mm. <laughs> that's I've mentioned that. I think I've mentioned that song it, at least three times. Is that is that song, podcast. like, deeply soothing to you? Does it take you back to junior high? I mean, I feel weird saying this because I don't want people to go listen to it and then make judgments <laughs> about me. Yeah, everyone is now Googling the song. That's I think it was when I was in junior high. That's great. Probably eighth grade. Yeah, it's an it's an inappropriate song. Everybody, don't go listen to it. I was a I was a I was a very lost child. But even if it was just the instrumental is really famous. The just the instrumental could probably bring you back because it's got that really famous. Yeah, I always wanted to mess around and drop a triple double like MJ. So hundred percent, a good day. You know. Anyways. So that's amazing. I was, okay. a, I was a big hip hop guy in uh, sure. eighth grade and early high school. So, well, if you're out there listening, listen I'd love for you to think about that question. What's the song that could pull you back? Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're- okay. Other fun fact, like Kate <laughs> sure. Bush, no one knew about her when that song came out. No one cared. Only the Enneagram fours who are into underground music. And now she's like on the top 10 charts. It's the number one song. It's nuts. Yeah. She's loving it. Getting she's all the making, royalties. Yeah. She's making 260 thousand pounds because she's british yeah a week kudos good, my lady good, oh my God. kudos she's like 65 how much how? is that in dollars i look i don't that's know crazy. i can't do this kind of conversion let me do it ah that's wild how much is one pound in u.s dollars a dollar 20 so she's rolling in it man that's great good for her yeah. good for her I, I think this is the first time in history that a person is making those kind of royalties $312,000 a week. On a song yeah. that far after the fact. Yeah, yeah, it's like 30 years later. It's crazy. Good for That's Kate Bush. Well, how old is Kate Bush? I'm going to guess 60. 63. Hey. There it is. Kate Bush is living her best life. Okay, uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> uh, I just love talking to you guys. Okay, so let me ask you this question. So this week we dived into a brand new part of our sermon series. We actually skipped over Matthew 6, uh, this section of the Lord's Prayer, because you wanted, we wanted to spend a longer time on this, just kind of going line by line, breaking it down. So we're going to be spending, what, five weeks on the Lord's Prayer? For four weeks. Four weeks on yeah, the Lord's Prayer. Weeks. A month. About a month. Uh, first of all, Jay, what was your thinking behind that? What Was there a sense that we just needed to have kind of more time in this or? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I just thought it would be helpful for us to go line by line through this prayer that is so familiar to people that, you know, I, I said this, this past Sunday, it's so familiar. It's become completely unfamiliar. What's that term? So, you, you had a term for it. There's a, there's a psychological term for that. Yeah, it's called semantic satiation. Mm. It's a psychological term. That was We've my nickname in uh, in college. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> semantic it's satiation. Great, it's a great band name. <laughs> um, Karina can suggest it to her son. <laughs> semantic satiation. Uh, yeah, it's just a psychological phenomenon where you a, a phrase or a word or an idea gets repeated so much, it becomes so common that it compl- it loses its meaning. You know. Um, I mean, like the word love almost takes that. It, it happens to that word quite a bit. And I think culturally it has happened. Right. Because uh, now we use the word to talk about our favorite TV show or whatever, you know. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's kind of happened for not everybody, but for a lot of people when it comes to these incredible words of Jesus, you know, what we call the Lord's Prayer. So because of that, I, I thought it might be good for us to re-familiarize ourselves with it or, or maybe be introduced to the prayer 
um, for the first time, you yeah. know, in, in a way. So now I know we're all, all three of us are pretty big on liturgy, but one of the dangers of liturgy is familiarity. And one of the dangers of familiarity is exactly what you just said. Is that just a danger that we have to always be aware of as Christians to keep looking afresh at the familiar stories and the words that we, uh, that we rehearse so frequently, do you think? I think that's true about almost everything. One of the things that's pretty big in our culture today is mindfulness. And it just hints to the reality that most of us are sleepwalking through most of our lives. So this invitation to actually be present, to notice, to pay attention, this is true about everything. You know, we live within our four walls of our homes with our families who we interact with every day. But a lot of the times I'm asleep to yeah. those relationships yeah. and missing out on the richness that's, that's available to me. And the same thing is true of all the parts of my life. And so it's really just like, can I wake up? Can I pay attention? There's so much to all the facets of life if I'll just like slow down for a minute and wake up. That's good. Yeah. My wife and I just celebrated our anniversary a couple of days ago, 19 years. And I was just Woo. thinking, yeah, I know. Can you believe it? How long she's put up with me. But uh, there's a sense in which, like we just said, you, you, you just kind of take for granted these things, including your spouse. And so I think anniversaries are a chance to slow down and say, wait, no, this person's amazing. And I'm so, so lucky beyond the moon to, to get to be near them. Um, now, you guys focused on the first part of the verse, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, now, Let's t- let's just. I want to zone in. We've talked about kingdom quite a bit in the past few months. I would say we've talked about kingdom when we talked about the names of Jesus. Um, Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Yeah, I was just. Mm-hmm. I was. I was just remembering. You yeah. just. Uh, you just taught on that. Just it feels like just. It feels like last week, but it was at the beginning of the Matthew series, season one, I think. Um, but this idea that Jesus addresses God as Father and then teaching his followers to do the same. There's a, uh, in one of my comments, uh, comment, uh, one of the commentaries I was reading, uh, a French theologian, you're like this, Karina, Pierre Bonnard said, this was not a commonplace of ancient religion. A, this is a brand new understanding of the nature of God that Jesus taught his disciples. So this idea that whenever God is called father in the synoptic gospels, the words almost always on the lips of Jesus, this is like, but this is brand new. This is a, a different kind of way of understanding. Like, Talk through that because I I lose track of the idea of God as a father. Like that doesn't seem fresh to me, but to the original hearers, it seems like this would have been like radical, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting. Uh, There is, I grew up hearing that, that um, to the audience, God as father would have been a totally radical idea. So like Craig Blumberg, who some people know, major theologian he was a big proponent of this i mean lots of people were oh the jewish people had never heard of god as father this is incredible more recent scholarship is actually coming out based on textual study that it actually wouldn't have been as uncommon as we think that referencing god as father would have been it, it was a common sort of rabbinic tradition to pray that way and a jewish tradition but what is revolutionary, and I think this is kind of what you're getting at, um, you know, at the time when Jesus is like traveling the Galilean countryside in the first century world, it's a Greco-Roman world, which we've talked about quite a bit, talk about a lot here at Westgate. And in the Greco-Roman world, in the Roman culture in particular, there was this phrase, pater familias, which means like father of the family. In other words, it was a hyper uh, patriarchal society. And much of that, if not most of that, was actually quite damaging. But um, people just naturally gravitated to, oh, the father is basically like the leader of the family, <laughs> like essentially the, the dictator of not for good and bad, you know, the dictator of sort of our tribe. And um, I think when like Jewish tradition uh, for good and bad was also a patriarchal society. So uh, when the Jews at the time would reference God as father, 
it was kind of in that context. Like God is the patriarch. God is the the one in charge. And mm-hmm. none, none of that's wrong. That's actually all true. I think what is revolutionary is the sort of intimacy, kindness, compassion, uh, generosity, love, you know, like real genuine love, you know, that God, that Jesus seems to indicate throughout his teachings and the New Testament indicates throughout its writings about God's posture as a father toward us. I think so. God as father was not new necessarily to the Jewish people, but the type of father God is, Ah, I think that was new. And to me, that's really helpful. And, you know, Karina can share her story. Karina and I, our stories are very different. Dave, your story is very different, but for all three of us, we do hold in common our stories. We do hold in common um, the absence of a father. So we've all wrestled in our own ways with, and, and I think this is important because lots of people, I would say most people listening probably can relate to this in some form or fashion, you know, the absence of a father, whether it was like for all three of us, literally the absence of a literal father, you know, Dave, you were a dad. No, you had and have a dad who loves you, but like your biological father. Right. I was adopted, totally so absent. I don't have same any with contact Karina. with my, yeah. Yeah. Same with Karina. Absent. Same with me. Absent. You know, but there are a lot of people listening who were probably like, no, my biological dad was around. Like he's still around. I still know him. But maybe that dad was absent in so many other ways, emotionally, mentally, spiritually and stuff. So I think that part of it is really profound to me. Jesus upends what a father actually is. And in that culture, sort of the emotionally absent father was normative. Like that's, you know, men did not exude emotion. In fact, there's a lot of Roman writing that's been excavated where humility and meekness and warmth is not only, people are not only apathetic to it culturally at the time, it's actually looked down upon as uh, not a virtue, but a vice. And Jesus upends that whole thing. He's like, no, no, no. We have a God in heaven who is our father, who is kind towards us, who loves us, who embraces us, who gathers us like a mother hen, as we read in the Old Testament. You know? Yeah, so there's that, this that really interesting story where um, there's their God, Prometheus, who sees humankind and that they are in lack. And so he provides for them the gift of fire. And their god Zeus actually punishes Prometheus for being kind to humanity. For eternity. Yeah. For eternity. He constant- ties him to a rock and has birds eat out his liver yeah, or something. Eagles peck out his liver. Yeah. yeah. But in, in eternity. Yeah. That little story is a vignette into the worldview of the people of that time that a good father uh, is actually weak. You know, yeah. a, a real father wouldn't be merciful and give good gifts to their children. And it's interesting, Jay, that you said that because I remember growing up, the the Greek name for the primary god was Zeus, but the Roman name is Jupiter, and it's Mm. from Zeus Pater, Father Zeus, Mm. Zeus Pater, Jupiter, there it is. Uh, And so, again, you're trying to show that Jesus's identification of God as Father isn't the radical thing. It's his redefinition of the, the term and the word and the character of this, of this Father. Yeah, Yeah, and I think a lot of people is not only as they approach this prayer, but they approach a relationship with God. This is the area where they're going to struggle is... Mm. Bad um, definitions of, of Father. Who really is God? What is he like? Yeah. Um, and, and then... Who am I in relationship to him? Okay, if he's God, that puts me in the role of child. But depending on your story, that could come with a lot of baggage. Am yeah. I the... And destructive baggage, yeah. Abandoned, rejected child? Am I the child that my parent is disappointed in me? Am I the child that is, you know, fill in the blank, depending on your own story? So um, sometimes father-child can can come with a a whole lot of baggage that actually I think the Holy Spirit would be inviting us into some healing and freedom in those areas. But we have to, again, be awake and alert. Okay, what am I bringing to the table? And what is God really like? And what does he really think about me? 
And where can the Holy Spirit actually bring some renovation to yeah. my mind and my heart? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it reminded me, as even if you, as you guys were talking about, you know, hallowed be thy name, right? The name of God. I think about the first time that God reveals his name to Moses in Exodus, right? Mm-hmm. And I was rereading the passage when, when Moses meets God for the first time. And uh, he says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so already we know that God's involved in history, right? And then he says, I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out and I'm sending you to rescue them, right? Mm -hmm. So now we see something else about him. And then he says, "Uh, well, why are you sending me? Uh, I don't want to go alone. He's like, I will be with you. Mm -hmm. And so now we have another clue about what this God's like. He's with, he's, wait, he's with people. And then he says, who shall I say sent me? And he gives him his name. And this is this famous moment in Jewish history that they call it the Tetragrammaton, which sounds like a transformer, but isn't. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's the four-syllable name of God, Eheye, um, which means I am and will be. This verb is weird. It's, it's both present and future. I am and will be always what I am and will be. That's how a lot of scholars translate it. And even that is... If I said to you, hey, what's your name? And you said, uh, my name is, I am what I always will be. I am and will be what I always am and will be. What's the very next question? What, what will you be? Well, yeah, what are you? <laughs> yeah. So there's an invitation, even that, into relationship. Mm. And, it, it yeah. feel, and then there's a rescuing. I've seen and heard the misery of my people. I'll be with you. So I think that there's hints about this good father that are so blatant in Exodus that, that Jesus is talking and teasing out that maybe has been lost or that he wants to redefine. And to your point, Karina and Jay, um, even now today, even now today. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important that uh, the prayer begins there because it frames everything else about the prayer, which we, you know, also talked about on Sunday, but it, it changes everything. It dep- You can say the same words to someone, but who you're saying them to, changes everything you know i mean it's just it, yeah it changes everything and, and that's true and i you know i can go to the i can go to starbucks and order my coffee and when the coffee comes out and it tastes so good i could look at my barista and say man i love you <laughs> you know and that barista can be like okay weirdo you know <laughs> or maybe i have somewhat of a relationship and they take it as a lighthearted gesture of like, ah, they like my work creating this coffee or whatever. But it's very different if I'm looking at my daughter, you know, after she's had a hard day and I tell her, you know, Harper, I love you. Or I look at Jenny and uh, tell her, I love you. Like just the relationship changes everything. So I think that, I think that's why it's so important, not just that Jesus teaches us the prayer that way, but as a model and guide for prayer in our own lives, we begin our prayer lives. Whether you recite the Lord's Prayer exactly you know as many christians did three times a day for generations or you just use it as a model i think it's really important that when we pray to god we remind ourselves like i'm not praying to some distant aloof detached deity i'm talking to a i'm talking to a father who loves me you know who is for me who draws near to me because that frames the rest of anything you're going to say in your prayer yeah, not to get too deep into this because I know we're it, we're and you guys have been frank and honest about sharing this. But one of the things is just thinking about your story, Karina, your story, Jay. Both of you literally had absent fathers that were not involved in your lives. How has this prayer helped and shaped and changed just the not only the way you see God, but the way you you know navigate through life? Because I know sometimes in messages you want so much to give to other people, you want to teach them these things. And in and, and your job, you're focusing on the, the congregation. But just for a second, if you're comfortable, if you're sharing some of how this prayer and Jesus is teaching on this prayer is like shaped and reshaped um, and invited you into 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 healing from from those wounds of a, a dad that was absent. And again, if if you're I was looking at the statistics today about fatherlessness, they're not great. In 1964, 93% of children were born to married couples. In 2010, the number's down to 59%. One in four children, according to the 2018 Census Bureau, 19 million kids live without a father in the home. So it's a, 
it's it's not a small number. It's it's a big number of people who probably have to do some real work with the idea of a father, an mm-hmm. absentee or a distant or God forbid even worse, an abusive or toxic. So how is this how is this prayer, how does this shape and how have you seen it shape pastorally, not just your life, but the people that you've been you've been close to? This is all super fresh for me. Um the story that I had heard my whole life growing up was that I was the result of a, a rape. Um, and so if you could imagine a child just psychologically trying to wrap their mind around that that origin story and what that means about your self-worth and value and, um, you know, really struggled with that. And then my mom wasn't well either. And so how do you deal with that? Um, and so when God first... Um, kind of uh, interjected himself into my story. It was all surrounding this idea of fatherhood. I was reading John chapter 1, and I get to this verse that says, to all who received him, to all who believed him, he gave the right to become children of God. And just hearing this invitation from God, I want want you. (laughs) I want you to be my daughter. I want to give you my name. Wow. Like, Actually, I have this interesting story. I think we've talked about my last name. When I was a kid, I grew up with this last name, Chronister, which is someone I'm not even related to. So I had to ha- spend my whole childhood with a last name of someone I have no relation to. It was a weird legal requirement of the state of Massachusetts at the time. So I didn't have my mom's last name. I didn't have my bio dad's last name, whoever he was. I had like a rando's last name. So like this invitation from God, like, I want... I want you, I see you, I love you, I care for you, I'm inviting you into my family, and I want to give you my name. Like, I, as painful and as difficult as my life um, was as a child, I feel like the, the upside to that is I have known God as Father in a more real, tangible, profound way than maybe a lot of people have had the, the gift of knowing. But then in 2020... I uh, decided to do 23andMe and Ancestry.com. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Um, I had done some counseling and felt ready to, like, face that side of my story. And I took the test, and it turns out that my origin story was actually not true, that that was not my biological father, but actually it's this other story. And at first I was so excited because I thought, oh my gosh, like God has done such an amazing job of like redeeming all this brokenness in my story. I was like, maybe I'm going to meet my bio dad and like there's going to be the happy bow on top. It's going to be a Disney movie. It's going to be a Disney movie. Yeah. And so I reach out to these folks on 23andMe and Ancestry.com and find out the name of my biological father. They start sending me some pictures of this person And I record a very vulnerable video. You know, hi, my name's Karina. I'm your biological daughter. I would love to meet you. And um, with, like, full expectation that this was going to turn out well. And uh, sadly, uh, this person actually has no desire to know me. They don't want to see me. They don't want to see a photograph. They don't want a phone call. They're not interested in knowing me, which like reopened all, all of the wounds of the past. It's like, wow. Double rejection. Double yeah. rejection. Um, mm. And yet, in the past two years, there's been this re-invitation by God. Like, I am so sorry that this human being is not ready to know you, but mm. I know you. And I see you and I care for you infinitely. And I promise I will never leave you or abandon you. And you have my name and you have my inheritance and you are my daughter. And I don't care what this guy thinks about you. You're mine and I'm yours forever. And um, just deeply healing, deeply, deeply healing. Yeah. Um, You know, we live in a humanity where we have free will and. People have the choice to do whatever in the world they desire to do, uh, inside or outside the will of God. But 
I am who I will always be. I am your father, and that will not change. And it's not dependent on your performance or your behavior or what anybody else thinks about you. I am your father. It reminds me so often we think we've done dealt with something, and there's Mm. a deeper surgery that God wants to do. And this is a deep wound. Jay, I remember the first time I met you, it was several years ago. It feels like eight. (laughs) It was at the Regen Conference. Um, longer than that. Or I think it was probably maybe it was 10, 10 years, 10 years. Cause ago, your yeah. father, you were giving, a, um, um, you were one of the keynotes. I was like an MC and you were talking about your dad had just passed and you had, we were yes. just sharing very rawly about how that was, that was kind of waking you up to some realities that had been long dormant in you. And of course now it's been almost a decade since, since that time you've talked about this frequently, but how is this, prayer that our our father who art in heaven how how has that shaped you because your mom took you and and kind of fled a a bad situation um right to get safe to get you safe um right yeah yeah well you know i think karina's story obviously everyone's story is unique it's different you know again i'm guessing here i think maybe some people listening have like actual real practical similarities maybe to Karina's story. Most people listening don't, but where I think almost all of us can land is that feeling of disappointment, rejection in some form or fashion. Um, And, and that feeling is very unique. I think when it's from a parent, you know Um, it's different than when I asked Monica to prom my junior year and she said, no, that's a different <laughs> feeling of rejection. Although it was also very deep and wounding and I still, Monica, it. how dare you? <laughs> she regrets um, it today. Yeah, I bet she does. Monica, so, if you're listening and you rejected J Kim, well, Jenny gets the spoils know, of war. <laughs> yeah. We get rejected all the time, but there is a very unique and very difficult to, understand unless you felt it depth of the pain and woundedness that comes when you are rejected by the one person or two people in your life who when all else fails they're the ones who are designed by god to be there to be god's expression of love for you and you know that data you read dave is like so shocking and sad and disappointing and heartbreaking um I think that's really tough. What's unique is for me, I resonate with Karina, you know, like you said, my, I didn't know my dad at all. Uh, He didn't reject us in the same way. He, he didn't reject us. Like he didn't leave us. My mom left him uh, with me, but not, not before she (laughs) begged and pleaded for several years for him to change his ways. So his rejection of us and our family was essentially no, my allegiance to these habits and these vices and these destructive patterns of life are either more important to me than you, or I just, I, I'm, you know, whatever it might be. Um, that was the rejection I felt. And then when he died, it was like this weird, I don't know. I felt like, well, that's that, you know, there's literally no hope of, trying to reconcile anything or get an explanation or whatever. So that, that part of it was unique to me. And I bet some people can relate to that. I I bet some people have had a loved one die with whom they had a very strained relationship. And then you kind of live in the turmoil of, wow, I I feel like we never wrote the final chapter and there now there's no chance. And that, that was hard for me for a long time. And similar to Karina, I find a lot of hope in that um, the, the, the one who finishes the story is not my dad or me. You know, the, the, the ultimate story of the human race and of my life, you know, God is the author. And though my earthly father failed in so many ways, um, he won't and he doesn't. And it doesn't matter what happens to me or what doesn't happen to me in this life. God is a father who loves me and is more than capable of 
completing my story in a way that's meaningful and and full of joy and peace and all of those things. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I I don't think about my father much these days. I do think about him a lot as a dad. (laughs) When I, um, this just happened yesterday. Actually, Dave, you and I were together and it was like the middle of the day and you were with me. I get this phone call from my daughter's school and I have to go pick her up in the middle. She's at day camp, so it's not school. It's summer break, but she's doing this camp thing and our entire lives, Jenny and I, it's arranged around this planning. Like my kid is going to be in school till or camp until four o'clock and then uh, and then I had, you know, she called, which just side note, my daughter's fine. She's back at camp today. You know, n- nobody has to worry, but I had to go pick her up and it ruined my whole day. So then I had to like, stop working. I had to watch my kids because Jenny had to go do something with her dad. It was like this, uh, um, a doctor's visit. That was pretty important. So anyways, our schedule got all mixed up. I, I lost like four or five hours of work time. And then when Jenny finally got home, my kids are so excited that mom and dad are home, not knowing. And why would they know that my day's been flipped upside down? I'm already way behind on work. And my kids run up to me. This is just yesterday. They start playing and hugging. And I just like, I got so short with them. <laughs> like almost on the brink of yelling. I was like, please go in the other room. And they, they, I could see on their faces. They were so confused by the rejection. Like I could see the rejection on their faces and it was like immediately heartbreaking. You know what I mean? Like, cause they don't know it's not their fault. It's not like they were trying to mess up my day. Um, and I just, in that moment, it's weird because everything comes rushing back for me. Like literally it's hard to explain, but all at the same time, I start thinking and feeling things about my own father and how I'm so committed to not being that sort of dad, but then sort of having to look myself in the mirror and realizing, oh, like I am my father. Cause you know, like I can't shake this, like I have an agenda and I gotta do X, Y, and Z. And it's really dangerous because I'm a pastor. So it's very easy to spiritualize my work. It's like, well, I'm getting short because this is like the kingdom of God and I got to <laughs> shepherd our people. Right. And so I'm just going to yell at my kids for no reason. And that's God's work. And no, it's not <laughs> like, no, it's not, you know? So then, you know, I had to take a deep breath, cool off. And then I, like, I apologized to them and, and uh, played a little bit and then went back to the office and worked late last night. But I, I, yeah, you know, I think that's what I think about a lot. Even when I hear Karina's story, because I know you well, Karina, and I know your story well, one of the things, one of the many things that makes me think is like, okay, what are some ways in which like I'm, I'm doing that to my kids? Like I'm not, mm-hmm. it's not as harsh in some ways as what Karina has experienced. Um, but, you know, this obviously wasn't a teaching about being a better parent or anything, right. but you asked the question. That That's what I think about a lot is, you know, juxtaposing my own sort of shortcomings in light of God's like beauty and and goodness as a father. And then it it actually makes me more appreciative of his grace because it's like, even though I fall short, his posture toward me as a loving father never changes. Like it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but it doesn't really matter that I failed in that moment yesterday as a father, like God doesn't fail me you know, as a father, he doesn't reciprocate by being, by rejecting me. You know, there's nothing I can do that'll make God my father. God's not petty. <laughs> He's not petty. Yeah. And I take a lot of comfort in that. Yeah. I think it does directly relate to the teaching though. Cause this next line, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, yeah. thy will be done is this invitation that I heard. Like, I want to give you my name, which is both a gift, but it's also like, a mission <laughs> like yeah. hey i want you to carry my name out into this world in like an accurate manner i want you yeah. to display to this world who i am so it actually in a way is an invitation for me to be a better 
parent, a better spouse, a better employee, a better member of the community? Like, how can I accurately portray the character of God with the words that I say, with the things that I do, with the way that I treat people? How can I hallow his name out in the world, bringing his kingdom through my actions? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in, a big way, it's tied. In a world of fatherlessness, it's good to point to the father um, that's good, that God is. Absolutely. And I think this is true, thank God, of many people. Um, you know, it says in the in the Old Testament, one of the Psalms, it says the Lord places the lonely into families. Yeah. And there are many men and women, some with or without natural children, who have uh been called and raised up by God to become spiritual mothers and fathers to those who haven't, you know, gotten that experience in their own home. Um, And so, yeah, it is a beautiful invitation for us to not just like theoretically, but actually um, be spiritual mothers and fathers to those who are orphan hearted. I think about like yeah. in kind of the basics of psychology, they say that the, the closer someone is to the source of life to you, the more important their voice is. And so like your mailman is not very important. I mean, he brings your mail, but he's not like, but your good friend, your best friend mm-hmm. is closer to your source of life. But your parents, your mom yeah. and dad are, are there, they're at the top, which, which explains why if your sibling says something super cruel to you, your parents can counteract that voice. Your brother's wrong. Don't listen to him. It's not true. Your brother, we're going to go discipline him right now, right? But if your parents say something cruel, your brother or your sister can't counteract that voice Mm because it's higher. But there is one voice that's above all other voices. There's one father who's the, the creator, the one who made us. And I love the way Jesus paints this father and how he has this relationship with them. And, and mm. the beauty and the majesty of that is not just healing. He is the source of life. So for, for those who are struggling with fatherlessness or brokenness, like not just around this table, but in our church, and if like three, <laughs> all three of us are pastors on staff, I bet if we went through the whole staff, I wonder what the percentage would be of, of mm. folks who have similar stories. Not just that, yeah. but in our church. So it, it really is a beautifully healing. We could probably spend a few weeks just, I mean, obviously, uh, we've spent a lot of time and counseling sessions and yes. tears and journaling on this, um, on this, on the healing dynamic of this. And so it's worth, it's worth pulling in. Is there any advice you have to f- for folks who, um, both of you who are really going through this right now, this is really unearthing a lot of stuff. Do you have a, a step or um, some advice on, on, on things to, uh, ways things to do that have helped? resources we have yeah i mean i'll 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 just share some practical stuff one don't uh i want to be careful how i say this uh i would say don't you know don't go it alone and at the same time um share the story when you feel ready to share the story Mm. uh but i i would definitely say move in the direction of not going it alone you know i i just think that isolation breeds um uh more contempt and confusion and pain i just think bringing dark things in our past things that have not just we've done but things that have been done to us bringing that to light is one of the ways like light chokes the power out of these things that have this sort of stranglehold over us so I don't know. Maybe people are listening and they're like, oh my gosh, this really is my story. I've dealt with rejection from my mom or my dad or someone that really, really I thought was for me all the way. And maybe you're listening and you're like, I can relate to this. Well, there, here's like three people on our staff right now who, who can in some way relate to your story. So maybe reach out to one of us. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then of course, you know, we have a whole very robust sort of care ministry here where we've got a lot of people both who are trained in particular ways and also people whose stories can relate that can come alongside you. And I think for many people, you probably already have someone. And if you don't, again, reach out to us. But for some some of us, we, we already have someone, I think, with whom we have that sort of trust trust relationship uh, developed and built. Because it's, it's like you're saying, Dave, you know, I, I love what you said at the end there that like, 
don't know exactly how you said it, but that sort of relational connection, you know, where a parent can usurp the mean words of a sibling and a sibling can, can usurp the mean words of like a friend or a neighbor, you know, that's really powerful. And that God is really central that his words can speak truth over the lies that our situations tell us the lie that Karina's situation tells it tells her is you're not worth it. Like you're not worthy. You're not worth it. Your biological dad doesn't want anything to do with you. So you must not measure up according to X, Y, and Z. That's a lie. And God's voice is bigger. It's truer. And it's able to say, no, Karina, you're, I sent my son to die for you. You know, that's how much you're worth to me. The only tricky thing now, Karina's, you know, has a very deep, passionate spiritual life. The only tricky thing for a lot of us is like, but I can't audibly hear God's voice say that to me. And my prayer life isn't rich and robust enough. And that's where I think community and very specific, curated, cultivated community, people who we trust, who love us, who are for us, and who have a certain depth and maturity in Christ can be so helpful. They essentially become the the words of God spoken audibly over us. You know, I think all three of us have experienced that. That's where uh, what was said earlier about being considering, you know, if you are that sort of person, giving yourself to being a spiritual mother or father. I think all three of us have those people in our lives and have had those people in our lives. I know I certainly have. And I know I certainly wouldn't be where I am had I not had those spiritual fathers and mothers. So I, I, that's maybe one of the most practical things I would say is like, don't go it alone, get with somebody who can maybe possibly be the voice of God for you, not them, but, but God's mouthpiece to speak truth over, to drown out the lies, you know? Um, So I don't know. That's one practical thought. Yeah. uh, For me, I would just add to that. You know, we looked at the temptations of Christ and actually coming a little further down the road, we're going to have a bit about spiritual warfare. And I know for my own self, as Jay alluded, one thing that I struggled with so much as a new believer were just a mind full of lies about who I am and what the world is and who God is and what this all means. And so, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, main tactic of spiritual warfare in his, you know, temptation story in the desert is the word of God, the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. So um, one practice that I had, and this is like actually really practical that if it's helpful for you, I would physically write the lie down on a piece of paper. Mm. And at first I have to say, I was terrified to do it. I thought somehow saying it out loud or writing it on a paper made it more real. More true. Yeah. But I actually found the inverse was true. When I wrote it down, it almost seemed laughably small, you know, in, um, uh, what is with the, the guy who turns into a llama, the funny cartoon, uh, crunk, Oh, Emperor's New Groove? The Emperor's New Groove and the witch, she shrinks and turns into a kitty. That's exactly what happened. It was like this big, giant monster of a lie. You're talking about when Yzma turns into a little cat? Exactly. And she's like, where's that with my voice? Exactly. (laughs) Don't drop it. I'm not going to drop it, you fool. I'm going to drink it. And once I turn back into my beautiful self, I'm going to kill you. Is that my voice? Is that my voice? Oh, well. It's like the lie would get ridiculous on this paper. And then I was a brand new Christian, and there was not Google back then. So I had to use like a concordance, and I would look up verses in the Bible. And I was a brand new Christian, so I didn't know the Bible very well yet. But I'd find like four or five, and I'd write them over and over on top of the lie until I couldn't Mm. see the lie anymore. And what that did is I started to commit those verses to memory. So when the enemy came back again with that lie, like you are unworthy of love, you're actually unlovable, then I'd be like, no, God so loved me, he gave his only son. For all who received and believed, he gave the right to be children of God. It's by the spirit of God that I cry, Abba, Father. Like, you know, I just had this like quiver full of verses that could combat that lie. And little Mm -hmm. by little, you know, my mind was transformed 
you know, that do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Mm -hmm. My mind, my thoughts about myself, my thoughts about God were renewed as I started to memorize these verses. Now you guys got Google. So you just Google, hey, verses Verses about about being a child of God. And, you know, don't try to memorize 25 of them. Pick four. Pick four. Commit them to memory. And, and just write them on your heart. And then therapy. Um, I can't say enough about counseling. <laughs> about counseling, yes. I'm, it's I, a big you deal. You know, uh, some people think, you know, somehow it's like if I go to a therapist, it means I don't trust God's power to heal. Um, and uh, I would just want to say that's not true. God has used counselors and therapists in my life to do really deep healing work. Uh, Westgate has a, a relationship with Christian Counseling Center. Um, and so if you reach out to our care department, we'd love to help you. But um, God has done tremendous work in my heart, in my mind, in my life through the assistance of a professional counselor and therapist. So. I couldn't say enough good things about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jay and Karina, thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably. I, I don't know if I properly, uh, you know, warned you. Hey, we're gonna, this is going to be a Trigger deep topic. alert. <laughs> so thank you both for sharing so vulnerably. If I didn't say it clearly at first, thanks for sharing your story so vulnerably, both of you. And for, I think that really helps because I think, like you said, Jay, a lot of folks are in that. And uh, look forward to next week when we're going to be continuing on in the Lord's Prayer. But again, this is foundational. This is how Jesus teaches us to start before we ask, before we ask for protection or for things and the things we need. We have to remember first that God's a good father and that he's looking out for us. So thank you guys both. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks. All right, just want to say thanks to Karina Gerard and Jay Kim for stopping by, not only for sharing what they shared, but also for sharing so vulnerably. If this is part of your story and this podcast or this sermon kind of brought up some uncomfortable realities in your own life, maybe you're dealing with fatherlessness or feelings of abandonment, and this is hard work, we'd love to not just help point you to the scriptures that can really help, but also point you to tangible help within our community. Uh, life groups and friends so that you can talk this out and have a safe place. But also, if you need counselors um, or other resources, we have a slew of professionals who are there to try to help be spiritual guides and really help you get in touch with the healing voice of God that really does want to become um, and wants to be your father or show you that he has always been your father. He'll never leave you or forsake you. So if you need to uh, email us, please do. You can email us at, um, at care at westgatechurch.org. And there's a whole bunch of resources there. Um, You can also just reach out to any of us and we'll be glad to get you in touch with the right resources. So hope this has been helpful to you and we will see you next week when we dive into the next part of the Lord's Prayer. We'll see you soon. Bye.